Welcome to the Big Bright Podcast. My name is Vic and I'm the Marketing and Communications Manager at Bright. And today I'm talking to Mark Doherty, the Customer Marketing Manager at Autiglim. He's worked there for a whopping 19 years, rising from process technician to Customer Marketing Manager for their professional products range. His journey's taken him through different departments, yet marketing is where Mark has spent the last 10 years. He currently works trade side, looking after the Autoglim product portfolio, and more recently helping to launch a range of antiviral products in reaction to coronavirus. We wanted to get the scoop on how he and his team adapted in such a testing time and how they've been taking advantage of platforms such as Instagram and TikTok. Welcome, Mark. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We're really, really appreciative, and especially because you're very busy at the moment. I suppose I could even say how we know each other. Mark or Doc has been a friend of mine for a very long time, and I think we probably met about 13 years ago at my wedding, I imagine. So you're a friend of my husband originally, and now your partner, Kate, is uh, is a very good friend of mine. Uh, I would say my best friend, because if I don't say that, she'll be absolutely furious. And so, yeah, we've known each other for a really long time, and you work for a really interesting company called Autoglim. And you've been there for 19 years, which is quite amazing. I don't know anybody, any of my friends, anyone that I know that's actually been in the same job for 19 years. So I think your anniversary has just come up, hasn't it? My uh, my 19th anniversary was on the 10th of September. It's a worryingly, well not worryingly, it's a very, very long time. As you say, somebody could have been born, grown up and learned to drive <laughs> and be off to university all while I've been working for the same company. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I do think it's amazing because I think one of the lovely things as well, whenever you talk about Autoglim, you have a real affinity and a real passion for the brand. And that always comes through even in social situations and you know whenever we meet up we know that you love you love Autoglim so I mean, you've been there for 19 years so how did it start? So Autoglim for those of you that don't know we're a large uh, UK based car care company so basically we make lots of liquids potions waxes creams anything that you need to make your car look uh, as good as new all over again so a lot of polishes and shampoos wheel cleaners those sorts of things like a lot of people who end up in a career, um, it was completely unplanned and, and totally by accident. I uh, finished my A-levels and dutifully went off to university and was uh, reliably informed by people that you don't need to do any work in your first year at all. All of the work happens in the, the following years. So I took this advice completely to heart and actually did no work whatsoever in my first year, in, including not bothering to turn up for any of my end of year exams either. Was then told that I wasn't a member of that university anymore. Lying on the sofa at home was told that I wasn't going to lie there and I needed to go out and find a job. So I went back to my temping agency who I'd worked with between A-levels and GCSEs and uh, they put me in to do some work at Autoglim. I'd never heard of them before, but I was working on the on the factory floor, putting lids on bottles and bottles in boxes and, and boxes on pallets and, and started doing that. Worked there for a few years and then I got the opportunity to move into quality control and I ran that department for a few years and then um, moved over to customer care and then that led me into marketing and events so actually going out on the road and talking to people face to face about the products um, answering their questions and and basically being a bit of an evangelist for um, Autoglome. Yeah I used to say if you cut me I'll bleed Autoglome and polish. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that's probably still true. So Worked all over the place in Autoglim, um, but for the last 10 years has been in marketing. So a bit of a B2C stuff mostly, and then the last three years has been a B2B. So uh, a new challenge for me, a bit of a different customer set to work with, but, but really, really enjoying it. On your social media, you tend to post a lot of things about Autoglim that you do. And I always, I'm always convinced that you spend most of your days at like at racetracks. I mean, that's what it feels like. Is that is that an accurate depiction of your of your sort of your, your job, or is it just like classic social media? They're just the highlights. Yeah, there's definitely a bit of classic social media in there. <laughs> so you know, you, 
share a curated best life ever on on social. But for a few years, when I was in the um, PR and events team, team of one, <laughs> I was paid to go and um, hang out in the pit garages, uh, you know, uh, world racing teams, go the other side of the velvet rope and get to sit in all the cars and do all the sort of fun things and a few sort of champagne receptions, those sorts of things. And, and in the name of work, I think, yeah, that really did foster that and entrench that love of Autoglim. So how do you think Autoglim has built such a loyal following over the past sort of 55 years? It's a long time to be around. You know, we as a company have been around 20 years. We're still working on that sort of stuff. You know, we've got a lovely law client base, which is amazing. So what do you think are the secrets for fostering brand loyalty? It's nothing unique to, to Autoglim in terms of what I would say. And I think, you know, works for all businesses. And it's, it's really got to listen to your customers, you know, spending time with them, finding out what their pain points are, and then developing products and services to sort of help. You know, it's 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 sort of the, the textbook answer, I guess. Um, it's a lot easier said than done. When you start to listen to your own opinion, or you, or you think you know what your customers want, then actually you can you can go off in a completely wrong direction and, and spend a lot of time and effort developing something that you know people don't actually want. Across all the three divisions and across all of those products, I think there's there's three things that that are built in really and that have paid a huge part in our success and uh, and kept us going for those 55 years. And and the first thing I think is probably just that speed and ease of use. So we engineer into our products that they are very easy and simple to use. So as a marketer, I spend uh, a lot of my time writing instructions on the back of label copy, pouring over every single word, making it work as hard as possible, dialing down into um, the instructions in a minute detail, trying to pick the absolute perfect way to convey how to use this product and get the best of it, knowing full well that most customers will never even read the back of it. They're like, oh, this comes in a spray bottle. It says use on the interior of your car. I'll just spray it all over the place and hope it goes okay. We have to uh, assume that's going to happen to a certain degree. So we build in this like very forgiving, easy to use technology, I guess, by, by our selection of chemicals um, into our products that, that work very quickly and easily. So it helps people feel that they can tackle these tasks themselves without, without having any problem. Obviously, everything we do brings about a change to a surface, so it either cleans it or it makes it shinier, or sometimes it makes it not shinier. Um, so it's all about the quality of finish. So that's the other thing that we want to sort of make sure that we build into the products as well. They all do what they're going to say. They all produce the finish we say they're going to. Yeah. And then the last one's probably cost in use. So we are uh, a premium product. We select premium uh, ingredients to go into our products. We make them to an incredibly high standard. We're, we're an unashamedly premium positioned product. And as a result, you know, we're not always going to be the cheapest on shelf. That initial purchase, you know, may be a little bit higher, but the product's going to last you longer and you're going to get a better finish overall. So I, I hate to make this analogy between fairy liquid because, you know, I've never don't wash your car with washing up liquid. It's, it's not a good thing to do. But as in with fairy, you know, it's not the cheapest on the shelf, but it lasts a hell of a lot longer and it, and it gives a fantastic result. I'm just thinking, we're just talking quite a lot there about your consumer brand. And I work here a lot in employer brand. Being that you're clearly a brand advocate for Autoglim, I'm quite interested, I think, in, in yeah, exploring some things around your employer brand and what makes working at Autoglim such a pleasure and what's your company culture like? Sort of how do, yeah, how do you attract and retain really good talent like yourself? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, retaining doesn't seem to be a problem with me. It's more like won't go away. 
the culture at Autoglim is really good. And I think that, you know, it's not unusual for someone to be at Autoglim for, for decades and move around and do different things. It's it's an incredibly sort of helpful, you know, friendly environment to work in. I'd say when we get people coming from other businesses, that's one of the things that strikes them straight away is just how willing people are to work with each other and help them. There's, there's no dog eat dog, you know, I need to tread on you to get where I need to go. And or, you know, very siloed working of, you know, well, that's not my job mate you do it you work it out there's this hugely collaborative just culture and environment we talk a lot about it being sort of a you know a family culture our parent company is actually owned it's the third generation owners of you know so we started by uh, the grandfather and now it's uh, the grandson that's that's running our group some of those family values really have filtered down through our group and certainly into autoglim as well as part of our recruitment and selection process, it's not just can you do the job competently, it's, you know, will you fit into the culture of the department that you're coming into and the culture of Autoglimmer as a whole. It's a, it's a, lovely, a lovely place to work. It's not full of necessarily people that are petrol heads or, or love vehicles. Some of them, it leaves them completely cold. But there is a good, like, hardcore um, center of people that are really into um, cars. And then you've, you've got, you know, that, that common shared uh, interest, uh, which you can apply to your everyday work. It really must have hit you quite hard. Well, and you must have felt quite, I suppose, a sense of responsibility when everyone had to go on furlough and everything sort of changed. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, we we've, we have three divisions broadly and two of those sort of turned off, as you say, or, or slowed to a trickle, you know, almost overnight. So when the car dealerships were closed you know no one was buying new cars really anymore you know all-time lows across the industry and that meant you know no new cars you're not selling a lot of life shine dealerships aren't buying used car stock and um, preparing it for resale and keeping the cars on the forecourt clean things really really did slow down and with the upside weirdly was with everything being closed it meant everyone was stuck at home with nothing to do so people did their gardens up they did their houses up and they spent a lot of time washing their cars as well. So where two things might have slowed down, we saw, you know, massive growth, if you like, in the do-it-yourself. So in the retail market, people are out there and they couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't spend their money on anything. So might as well wash the car for the ninth time that week. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was as busy as Christmas sort of thing, but, you know, in March. So so that, that helped. But, you know, we, you know, took the really difficult decision Autoglim uh, that we did feel that you know we had to sort of furlough some people which was which was really really hard and I know that weighed really heavily on our um, on our leadership team and and it was something they really didn't want to do there was this huge feeling of responsibility to make sure the business was in you know the best possible shape and condition so that we could welcome those people back at the appropriate time and it, it was it was a really sort of fun time you know there was good times to be had in it as well because with a reduced team people were doing a lot more roles than usual but it just meant things happened like really really quickly so we almost had a Mm. it felt I've never worked in a startup but it felt to me almost you know it was closer to a startup that we just made decisions and we actioned them straight away and just things happen in a very quick and agile way. So it was actually, it was quite exciting. And it happened to brought about a lot of cross-functional work that, that might not have happened otherwise. You were mentioning that things almost felt a bit like a startup and that things were moving quite quickly. So what, what happened? What did you do? Was there a surge in, in, I don't know, new products or, yeah? You, you have to do a lot of guesswork. 
And but one of the things we were fairly certain of that was um, sort of around about the March time, everybody wanted to buy hand sanitizer and, and nobody could get hold of it. So we thought, well, we've got the gear and the equipment, we've got giant mixing vessels and, and filling lines and all this sort of thing. So we should be able to turn our hand to, you know, what, what the public needs and wants. So the first thing was uh, hand sanitizer. We've always been pretty good on, uh, or we, you know, we try to be as good as we can on things like corporate social responsibility. So as part of launching that, we allocated sort of 20 thousand units to local good causes in our area i actually went out like sanitizer santa i loaded up the back of my car with thousands of bottles of sanitizer and went and delivered them to like old people's homes and hospices and um, just charities that were distributing things oh you make me feel like a bad person in life in general (laughs) do you mean it's just so lovely that was (laughs) that was a great day at work that was a really sort of you know actually felt like you know we're actually helping at at a real moment of need because not it's not very often that there's a global need for like glass cleaners or um, wax for your car so it's nice to actually make something that was timely and you know had had a use outside of the car but that sort of sparked a, a session of identifying sanitizing and cleaning needs that we expected would happen in the sort of covid post covid world yeah basically we made the assumption that sanitizing is going to be around for a while people are going to need to do this more so than ever it's going to have to make its way into vehicle preparation routines in a way that wasn't there before we embarked on a project to sort of fast track about 11 products through uh, which we're just coming to the end of and we've done that in about six months and that that's sort of unheard of speed of moving things through our business it would normally take i'd say you know a year normally and we might push through maybe four or five products so to do that that fast and with a reduced team as well has just been outstanding it's been wow it's been really fun to be part of that can do attitude and and those teams that are just working to do things as quickly as possible you've had quite a surge in people wanting to clean their own cars have you found that instagram has been a really invaluable tool in terms of an advertising channel because for me personally i've been buying a lot of stuff because it's been right place right time And I've just been, you know, and I think because I've got more time on my hands, I'm sitting at home, I'm browsing maybe a bit more than I I normally would. I feel that so many brands have taken advantage of that in such a clever way. And I just wonder if that's something that Autoglim maybe is considered or has, has done, has found any rewards from. Not that I'm advocating Instagram as the only channel, obviously, but it's just something that I found quite interesting. It's, I mean, it's definitely part of our sort of comms, you know, uh, tools. So we're active on most um, most of the big social uh, networks, but Instagram is, you know, that's where we're seeing the most growth at the moment, uh, 100%. So that's where we're focusing a lot of our, our actions. Okay. You know, our strategy on social is, you know, is, get, is getting people into, you know, move them from piquing their interest uh, to you know ultimately we want them to to buy and, and use the product the strategy tends to be interesting engageable content to start with um, so that could be something fairly fun not super you know heavy on um, on what it's actually about to do with car care but just something to get them to take an action and then there's you know a lot of tools that we can use in the back end of uh, Instagram and Facebook and, and other other things like that to then take them on a journey so we'll serve them different content so if they engage with us on like a fun we did a sort of a Mickey take of um, Call of Duty so with like a first person shooter type video with a guy walking around with a with a pressure washer spraying foam on things so he's like shooting a car with a foam and at the end of the video he ends up getting shot by someone else with a pressure washer so 
we knew that through um, through customer data, like even things like Amazon, you know, we, we knew that people who were buying car care were also buying a lot of computer games. So we thought, well, let's make some content which sort of bridges that gap, brings the two worlds together. And, you know, that did really, really well. But if people sort of, you know, engage with that in some way, then we can think, okay, well, they've shown an interest in that. Let's show them some more things from our pressure washer range. Let's show, show them some super foamy shampoo and see if they do anything with that. You know, and if they do that, you can take them down the educational routes, you're sort of teaching them a little bit more about the product. And then if they engage with that, then you can start, you know, moving them closer to to making a purchase or something. So it's definitely that people have had loads of time and not much to do but scroll on their phone. So yeah, you've got way more screen time. You know, all brands have had way more screen time for their customers than they would, would do normally. Eventually, it sort of it has an effect, and you do you do buy that thing that you've been looking at. Probably like the the parcel delivery guys were coming to our house at least every day, if not multiple times a day during the early days of lockdown. Kate went nuts, and I, you know it was like, what is going on? Our house is, looks like a parcel sorting office of just overflowing ASOS and Amazon parcels. It was probably the same up and down the country. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm exactly the same. I mean, who would have thought that I would have started a razor subscription? Do you know what I mean? I, you know, now I I. I have razors just ablaze delivered to my door uh, every month. Yeah, I just decided I like I got sucked in by the Instagram ad. I've bought some strange lunchbox. Yeah, I've, I've actually bought a series of things. I'm not going to go into them all here because I think it would just be a bit too embarrassing. <laughs> all the things that I've bought, but um, I think it's fascinating. And I just I I mean I love the creativity of that campaign that you were just talking about. I think that's a brilliant idea. And we've certainly as a brand ourselves tried to look at changing our messaging, thinking about what's going to I don't know also cut through the noise. How can we change things up? And we're looking at TikTok as well now not actually using necessarily tiktok as a platform but using the notion of the way that tiktok videos look and taking that inspiration and thinking what can we do with that now as a brand how can we sort of piggyback on on that trend so i don't know if tiktok has been something that you've if there's been any foray for Autoglim yeah. into that yeah. or not. We have a, a TikTok channel. Of course you do. And uh, my my colleague, Danny, he... What we tend to do is we take advantage sometimes of just as an in- incredible amount for our senior management team to keep track of when you're, you know, manufacturing, marketing, selling, all, all the things to do with a brand. So every now and then we'll just decide to sort of run an experiment ourselves and um, set up an account or, or take you know, do something new in marketing under the radar just to see how it goes. And if it fails, you know, then it fails. But if it works, you can then take that in and say, look, we've had a shot at this. It's gaining some traction or, you know, this it's allowing us access to this segment of the market, which we're struggling to reach, uh, you know, otherwise. Yeah. So TikTok, you know, I'm 38 now. I don't think I'm TikTok's, you know, um, target audience. I'm going to sound super old now. I don't know what goes on in TikTok. Just seems to be a lot of um, synchronized dancing. But if they're going to be the consumers of tomorrow, if they're going to be people that are like, you know, 15, 16, you know, they're going to be 17 next year, they're going to be learning to drive, they're going to be getting a car. So if you can get in with them early and at least seed something of like, oh, they made some cool content, you know, there's like some fun stuff. And my my colleague, Danny, yeah, he's really taken to it like uh, fish to water. Really. He's um, he's uh, he's out there, you know, creating all the stuff on his drive because that, that's the other thing. We, we're all working from home still. So our operations are working in the factory, but we don't normally be there near them. We're all working at home. So we've got this beautiful, large, well-lit valeting bay with all the Autoglim products you can imagine on the walls and, you know, like all cool equipment. We've got no access to that at the moment. So Danny's uh, having to make all this stuff at home on his own with his own car. So, but it, 
it weirdly lends itself to TikTok. I think if you do things too professionally on TikTok, it, it looks always just another brand like in here trying to do something. Yeah, he's he's uh he's grown it. I think we're about twenty thousand uh, followers now, which is pretty cool. So uh, brilliant. Yeah, he's, and that just started almost like a, an under the radar experiment, which has become like an important comms tool to us now. But that's so important, isn't it? And I think this whole notion of experiments. We run experiments here all the time as a brand. I mean, I talk about us being basically like weird little scientists, and that's how I see it it's all the time. And I. I always have that viewpoint of what's the worst that can happen, obviously in my professional and personal life, Doc, as we both <laughs> know. So <laughs> I, I I really love that idea of running those sorts of experiments, just seeing what's going to happen. You know, what is the worst that's going to happen? If it's not going to hurt anybody, give it a try. Look at it based on risk. You know, if it's a low risk, low cost thing, just give it a bash. And it sounds really exciting that that's really taken off. Yeah. So yeah, cool. Well, here's to more of that. So um, yeah, my final question, if you could choose a dream car, because obviously we know that you have cars, what would it be? But more importantly, who would you be taking on long for the ride? I'm, I'm assuming it's me, but I sort of know that it won't be. <laughs> this was hard. And thank you for giving me a heads up on this this question, because it's too it's too difficult. Like There's so many great answers you could give. But I, I was fortunate enough to go along to a, a very well-to-do car event at Windsor uh, Castle. So um, it took it took place in the quadrangle, uh, basically where the Queen looks out of her her actual, you know, where she actually lives, down onto the lawn, basically. And it was the first time there'd ever been like a car event there. Yeah, it attracted sixty of literally the world's finest, rarest, most exotic cars. Uh, historically significant cars as well uh, from all around the world so collectors flew stuff in from the states uh, from the Middle East we had like lots of um, you know stuff from Europe Australia people were shipping cars over from from Britain as well so yeah just surrounded by just incredible pieces of machinery but there was one car that really stood out to me among them and it was this really small 1950s Ferrari called a, um, a 166 mm touring barquetta which means I think little boat in Italian which you don't want handling like a boat when you've got a car but it's just there's this tiny small compact open two-seater car just stunning to look at and it's got this great sort of like a two liter v12 engine in it which you know amazing and they only made about sort of 40 odd of them so less than 50 of them were ever made and it's just this beautiful car on wire wheels and then it just really took me so it was a three-day event and i just kept looking at it and it, it it just really was i think the most beautiful car there so i think although this isn't my definitive answer you know i'd say uh, a drive in in that particular car would be great fun uh, in the sunshine through europe you know italian coastal drive something like that fortunate enough to do a European driving holiday with Kate. We went in one of the Saabs, which was great fun. But yeah, I think I think Kate and I would have a wonderful time, perhaps a small break from our children, <laughs> a few days driving around Italy in this beautiful car. So that's going to be my answer today. Amazing. Well, it's a very good answer, very safe answer. Well done for choosing Kate. Probably would have been furious if you hadn't. Yep. So yeah, amazing. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Mark. Honestly, it's been so lovely talking to you. We really appreciate you joining us on a podcast today. Yeah, and all the best to the future of Autoglim. Another Here's to another 55 years and more TikTok. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. It's been great fun. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe to ensure you never miss an episode. You can find out more top tips from the Bright team on our website at bright-interactive.co.uk.